0: Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball. So expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our top five storylines in the NBA. So Jalen and I came up with our top five storylines looking into this NBA season that starts tomorrow night, October 19th. So Jalen. Let's start with our first storyline. Will Clay Thompson be the same player from when he was injured?
1: Yeah, the reason why we came up with this topic in particular was because this is one of the three players in the Western Conference, and you can argue in the entire NBA that coming off of injury is going to be a legit swing player in the championship picture. There's Clay Thompson, There's Kawhi Leonard for the L.A. Clippers and there's Jamal Murray for the Denver Nuggets. Those are the three guys that shift the balance of power in the NBA with their return from injury. Now, the big question with Klay Thompson is that of these three teams, he's the one guy who falls more into a role player um, vacuum. We all know that he's one of the top two, top three shooters of all time in terms of not only being able to hit them, but doing it in such a Um, unfathomable manner, right? This is a guy who scored, you know, a 30 piece in in the span of a very, I think it was like a quarter or like two or three quarters. So this is a guy who can put up buckets in a heartbeat and is a really intricate part of this Golden State defense as well. But he's not a superstar, I guess, in the eyes of the general media, and talking about at least in comparison to like a guy like Jamal Murray or the uptick at the at the, uh, the point guard position, or of course Kawhi Leonard. So Ryan, with that being the case, first off, let's start with this. What do you think is the impact of a guy like Clay Thompson when fully healthy? We'll talk about like what he like what he may look like, you know, and things like that moving forward with this iteration of the team. But what do you what do you feel like is the the maximized version of Klay Thompson? What do you what, what would you describe as the healthiest version of Klay Thompson looking like on the floor?
0: The healthiest version of Klay Thompson on the floor is him being a strong sharpshooter for this team. I think is also also being a strong perimeter defender for the golden state warriors. And I just think also he could end up being a difference maker overall for this team this season. I think when he returns to the court to reunite with Steph Curry, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick it up right where they left off. And I think they become the most dangerous backcourt in the NBA. And I think the warriors have missed his energy. It seems that when he returned, he's given this team a morale boost and there's a new sense of confidence on the Golden State Warriors. This is a team that improved in the offseason, and we can honestly label them as a contender. And you already have Steph Curry. You already have Draymond Green. You bring back Andre Iguodala. You saw an auto porter and Namanya Bielitza, who are also solid three-point shooters. You also have the emergence of somebody like Jordan Poole, who's coming out as an X-factor on this team. I think he could have a breakout season this year. You also have a pretty good draft. So you're building this team for success. You get uh, Mo- Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga to to boost up the depth to boost up the depth in your uh, uh, front court and back court, and then you put Clay Thompson on this roster. I think he's the difference maker in terms of whether or not this team makes the playoffs, but also whether or not this team can make the championship as well.
1: So I think I agree with your latter point a little bit more than the former in terms of them being a playoff team versus the championship team. Now, I think any team with Steph Curry on the team, along with the fact that Jordan Poole is looking like a real emerging star in this league, Andrew Wiggins is consistent for at least 17-5-5 on a nightly basis, Draymond Green is always going to be in the defensive player of the year conversation in some respects. I think when you have that core group of guys to start off, what is a pretty interesting like depth chart for the Golden State Warriors, that they're at least a playoff team in this Western Conference. There's a couple of teams that we can already pencil out in the West, being teams like Oklahoma City, Houston. Um Certain people are low on Sacramento, not me, but certain people are lower on Sacramento. A lot of people are low on Minnesota, considering some of their. Off court situations. We're going to talk about Minnesota a little bit later because I actually think they're a lot better than people feel. But overall, I think even with the fact that I might have a personal viewpoint of some of these bottom of the Western Conference teams as a little bit better than others, I still think that I view Golden State in a tier significantly higher than some of those bottom five teams. So that has Golden State at least in the play in, and we know in a winner go home scenario. There's a set of circumstances where Golden State can't advance to the playoffs. Unfortunately, that was not in their favor last season. But I think that that's something that we can at least play into factor in terms of them being a playoff team. In terms of them being a championship team, this is where I agree with you talking about the aspect of taking them to that next level. Klay Thompson as a shooter creates a certain level, gra- certain level of gravity, similar to Stephen Curry, honestly, in terms of his range that opens so much more up on the floor for others. And it's going to be huge for guys like Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins. And even Draymond Green, Otto Porter Jr. is another guy who they picked up. Uh, Namiya Abisa and Bialita, who's a shooter for them at the stretch forward. Andre Iguodala, who, Lord, I don't know if he's going to be the same guy that he was back when they had the depth lineups, but he's definitely going to be a serviceable vet on this team. Let me ask you this about Clay. Realistically, I think this has been a misinterpreted thing on the last couple of months, but realistically, everybody has been comparing Clay Thompson coming back from injury to Kevin Durant. And I think that's kind of a dangerous assumption to have because before Kevin Durant had this miraculous season coming off of an Achilles injury, everybody was comparing his potential comeback to the best case scenario being Dominique Wilkins coming off of an Achilles, which was the, the best the best version of coming off such a significant injury, while others were pointing to the DeMarcus Cousins of the world, the, even the Kobe Bryants to a lesser degree, who kind of were like ha- hampered by the Achilles injuries. Where do you view Clay Thompson in this return from injury bug situation? Do you view him, based on his play style, as close to Kevin Durant as a guy who can come back in and produce day one? Or do you think this is a guy who's going to have a little bit of a hard time? Because I kind of struggle with picking one or two, one, or picking from one of the two sides. And I think that that's going to be really imperative when we make our decisions about where we think Golden State lies in the hierarchy with or without Klay Thompson on the floor.
0: I think I have to lean more with the idea that he has a Kevin Durant-esque comeback, because I think he's he's been eager and he's been waiting to get back onto an NBA court. Keep in mind, it wasn't just an Achilles injury. It was also an ACL injury the year before. Right. In again in that in that final series against the Toronto Raptors that sidelined him for almost two years, so I think if there's anybody who's who's been ready, willing, and able to get back onto a court and produce day one, outside of Kevin Durant, it has to be Clay Thompson. And we talked earlier about how much of a difference maker he's become for this team. I think that this team has a legitimate chance of making the championship with him healthy.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Golden State is they're going to try to bring him along slowly. It seems like the timetable for them right now is somewhere around late December, um, but they're aiming for after Christmas. That seems like a logical time frame for them right now, but he's already getting at it pretty strong in the gym. And it sounds like one of those things where he sounds very prime for a return, and Golden State is just making sure to you know, play their cards right, have all their ducks in a row in terms of where this team is at. at going into bringing him back and seeing what they may or may not need in order to be able to make that late late season playoff push. I think um, my last little point um, when it comes to Clay Thompson is this. I think the other thing that makes him so crucial in terms of his return is that he bumps everybody down a peg in that shooting guard small forward um, depth chart. And that's important because I think it really will help in maximizing everybody's skills on this team. Because if you bring Clay Thompson back, that moves Jordan Poole back to the bench, he can be an explosive six man scorer for you. I think he's going to be huge this year. I think not a lot of people um, have really fully leaned into Jordan Poole sweepstakes right now in terms of picking him as a guy um, that could potentially win most improved player. I think a lot of people are starting to come around but I think the preseason isn't enough for anybody to truly buy it yet. I'm buying the stock early. I think Jordan Poole is going to be huge, and I think him coming off the bench will give him the kind of high usage that he needs in order to really blow up. Andre Iguodala can remain as a bench guard for them. Otto Porter Jr. remains as a, uh, as a secondary small forward for them. And having Clay Thompson on this roster makes it where you're not relying on the potential need for guys like either Moses Moody or Jonathan Kaminga to play heavy minutes. I don't think Golden State wants either one of these guys to be playing significantly for them. I think in truth, especially with Jonathan Kaminga, I think they want both of these guys to be playing for Santa Cruz. I think we know that if if Golden State is having a good season, those two are going to be in Santa Cruz most of the year. I think that's how we are able to identify the success of this team, because those are two players that do strongly need to still develop their game, especially to be able to fit within such a complicated team spectrum like Golden State. But like I said, Klay Thompson's return is more about him being a table setter for the rest of the depth chart more than it is anything else. At least that's how I feel personally.
0: And I think that the idea of Klay Thompson rejoining the lineup makes sense. I think you said this in our episode with Carson where With his return, the lineups make sense with it pegs everybody down one. And I think with the emergence of players like Jordan Poole, you need to maximize his capabilities of of him being a scoring threat coming off the bench. And the idea that James Wiseman and both both James Wiseman and Jonathan Kaminga, I think both of them will end up starting in the G League very soon. I don't think they'll, I think they'll start the season on the main roster. I know James Wiseman's currently hurt right now, but I think when he returns, he'll probably get some minutes with the Santa Cruz Warriors. And I would probably have to say, say the same thing with Jonathan Kaminga, but I think the Warriors just have a lot of depth where they can utilize all of it in the, in this season, especially with the amount of talent that they, they had through the draft. Also with the amount of talent that they had, uh um, that they acquired in free agency as well. Moving on to our next storyline and Jalen alluded to this earlier, the Minnesota Timberwolves and Jalen, do you believe the Minnesota Timberwolves are a sneaky team?
1: Yeah. So here's the thing about Minnesota that gets me is the way Minnesota seems to me is a lot of the league and mainstream media, and rightfully so, because this hasn't been a very successful team outside of that one Jimmy Butler year making the playoffs, I believe in around like 2015. This has not been a good organization for the last 15 years. I might be sugarcoating it, <laughs> to, to say the least. Um. So with that being the case, there's reason to have cause for pause in terms of this, in terms of this franchise, in terms of putting stock, in terms of their like legit success. But here's what I'm gonna say, Ryan. Here's what I'm gonna start with. This is not a loaded Western Conference anymore. Let's be honest. In the Western Conference, it's anybody's. It's anybody's conference to win. Um, I think Phoenix is still legit. I think that I would put the Lakers as a top two, top three team in terms of the overall championship picture. Now, again, I've said on past podcasts that in terms of the regular season, my confidence is a lot lower. But that doesn't mean that I don't think they're a championship caliber roster. I think Utah is for real. I think Utah is really solid. Um, But overall, I don't think any one team stands above the rest of the conference. And with that being the case, especially with the play-in tournament now, you have the one through the 10 to give yourself a a potential chance at the postseason. This roster currently has D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards in year two, who was already coming along strong in the last couple of months of the season last year. Jaden McDaniels, who's their one really proficient two-way wing, and I think he's gonna take a really big step this year, Carl Anthony Towns is here for the long haul now. He's had two back-to-back seasons of off-the-court issues that are really understandable, but have also hindered his ability to be on the floor. They have Malik Beasley back on the floor. Patrick Beverly, uh, Nas Reed, Jared Vanderbilt, two guard, two two uh, guys in the backcourt that are, or two guys in the frontcourt, excuse me, that are really solid. Taurine Prince is another guy at the wing position that could come off and play some defense, shoot some threes for them. Ryan, I think think the ceiling for this team is to finish somewhere in the play-in, the lower half, 9-10. So maybe that's not as high as a sneaky team would come off. But I think despite them being in the 9-10 spot, I think they both, I think regardless of which position they end up in, I think they have a very legit chance of upsetting one of those two other seeds in the 7-8 and taking one of those final two playoff positions. What's your stance on that? And what's your stance on this team in general moving into what is going to be an interesting 2021-22 season?
0: I think that there is a chance that Minnesota could be a sleeper team this year. And I think it's interesting to point out that the Timberwolves, in their last 16 games of last year's regular season, they won nine of them. And if you look at who they defeated, they defeated the Heat, the Warriors, the Jazz twice, and the Mavericks. But looking at this team, I feel like we're going to get a good idea this year of what a Chris Finch coached team looks like. Because remember, he took over midseason last year. And I think it was, I think it'll be very interesting to see if he can help this team take a step forward. I think Carl Anthony Towns is the franchise player for this team. D'Angelo Russell, I think, will continue to produce at point guard for this team. And I think outside of them, Malik Beasley is a great three-point shooter. Torian Prince, I think, could develop into a three and D power forward for them. You also have some solid defenders on this team like Josh Okogie and Patrick Beverly. and Beverly brings you much needed playoff experience from his time with the Los Angeles Clippers and the Houston Rockets but I think Anthony Edwards has the chance to make the biggest impact for this for this team this season. I think he's a breath of fresh air for this organization and he had a great rookie season last year and he keeps getting better throughout the season. His personality makes it hard for you to not like him. And he's also becoming a fan favorite, not only in the league, but um, with Minnesota fans as well. And I think Minnesota has the team right now to make a run at the playing tournament, but can Chris Lynch, or can Chris Finch, should I say, lead this team to success?
1: Yeah, and I want to touch on that Anthony Edwards point for a second because I think that's a great one. We talk about the fact that this has been a franchise divulged of real energy, right? We haven't seen a real energy guy for Minnesota since Kevin Garnett, because I can't say that Kevin Love was that guy for this team. He was a very solid all-star caliber player for Minnesota, but never a real legit spark plug for this organization. Anthony Edwards is an above-the-rim player, which is huge from a highlight reel standpoint. Um, I mean, Everybody remembers the highlight of what he did uh, to the center, Utah, uh, Yutawambe, for the Raptors last season. And that's only a snapshot of what he was doing last year. He grew um, two inches last year. He was listed at 6'4". Now he's listed at 6'6". He was averaging 19.3 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 2.9 assists last year. I think that. That precursor is something that looks really good for him coming into this year between the growth spurt and the development in his game. He's a guy in the preseason that was showing signs that he's committing more on the defensive end, which I think is huge. Because the guy has the physical measurables in order to compete on the defensive end against the one through three, if you mean to tell me that Anthony Edwards can come out here and average 20 points per game for the Timberwolves along with being able to guard the one through three in that backcourt next to a guy like Patrick Beverly and cover up for a guy like D'Angelo Russell. Oh man. Right. now we're talking about an entirely different breed of, uh, of superstar in the version of Ed Edwards. So I think this team, this team goes as Carl Anthony Towns goes, right? I think his, his ebbs and flows this season are going to be really important because this is a guy who you got to remember the last couple of seasons, it's been AD and Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid as the all NBA centers. Ryan, I don't, I love Rudy Gobert from a defensive standpoint, but I do not think that that Rudy Gobert is better than Carl Anthony Towns. I just don't believe it. But over the last couple of seasons, Carl D. Towns has not been able to prove that. I think this is going to be an extremely important year for him in that hierarchy to prove that he is still a top three, top five center in the NBA. But next up on that hierarchy is definitely Anthony Edwards in terms of all of this. Now, before we transition from the Timberwolves, there's a question slash elephant in the room that we have to address when it comes to this team in particular, right? They're under new management. They got rid of, um, what was coming off as a cancer in the locker room or in the front office in Gerson Rosas, which I think is huge. Chris Finch, this will be his first full season as the coach for this team, which I think is huge. This is a guy who used to work with Nicole Jokic as a guy developing that center position. I think that's going to be huge for Carl, Carl Anthony Towns in a full season. Orion, they're one of the top three teams in discussion for Ben Simmons trade. My question to you. Is A, do you think they should do it? And B, if they chose not to, how good do you think this team is on paper as currently constructed?
0: So I think without Ben Simmons, I think that this team is a certified playing team. I think they finished somewhere between eight and 10. I think that this team can do well without Ben Simmons. And I think at, at point guard with D'Angelo Russell, you do get a certified score at that end. And I think if it's, it's just going to be very tough for Minnesota to trade for Ben Simmons, because I don't see, I or should I say, I don't know what his value is because mm. his value changes a lot like is it four first round picks is it two of your best players it's very hard to decipher what his value is which is why it just doesn't make sense for from my point of view so i i personally am not sure what minnesota does i think as currently constructed they can compete for a playoff spot but this is even without ben simmons mm-hmm. so maybe maybe the standard changes with ben simmons on your team But the trade value for Ben Simmons is so it's so different because we don't know what his trade value is. You can't really pinpoint who you could trade Ben Simmons for.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a great point to make, because when you look across his roster, I mean, obviously, the idea that everybody's thrown out is sending D'Lo out along with, you know, draft capital. Then everybody brings up. But how will that affect? the front office's relationship with Carl Anthony Towns, then that gets tricky. Then you look down the list. Well, you're not going to trade Anthony Edwards. We've already gassed up how important he could be, or really how important he is to the long-term success of this team. Is Malik Beasley, Josh Okoge, and Picks going to really sway Philadelphia? I highly doubt it. You know, the other thing about this that is really interesting is most recently, and we you know, we haven't gotten time to really discuss this because you know, here on the HTP, we are not the types to talk about mainstream news on a regular on a regular basis. Lord Brian, I'm sure you you can attest to this in terms of listening to NBA podcasts over the last like two weeks. Basically, every episode of Dang near every podcast is Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson. That's pretty much been. The talk of the town over the last week, week and a half, the Ben Simmons debacle, Kyrie Irving refusing to be vaccinated, and Zion Williamson's injuries had So we haven't really been crazy uh, plugged in from a, from a podcast standpoint in terms of talking about this topic. But something that's really important to note when talking about training for Ben Simmons is he reported to camp. He he, he Oddly enough, after losing $1 million, he folded. He, he put all his cards in the middle of the table and said, you know what? I got to return back. He also recently practiced the other day, I think as well. I don't know if that's going to have any impact on whether or not he gets on the floor. Um, will Doc Rivers be able to play him considering the circumstances? That'll be an interesting question to ask. Um, before we move on from Minnesota, I, I want to get your thoughts because, you know, you got to keep it real. What are your thoughts, what are your roundabout thoughts as we head into the season about the, the current state of the Ben Simmons saga now that he is back in camp, back, you know, with the team, and talk to me a little bit about his uh, his trade status to you, I, I, uh, uh, to the league. I know that you said it's a little bit odd and unknown, but, like, in your in your eyes, do you think that the holdout helped his leverage, hurt his leverage? Where do you stand on this situation as we head into the season? This will probably be one of the last times we talk about his situation until they get traded, but we might as well kind of, you know, tie this up with a bow in terms of what our thoughts are on him.
0: Well, first of all, I would not want to walk away from $8.2 million. Eight point, I think it was $8.25 million actually, but um, – I would not want to walk away from that. And I was not surprised when he did not want to walk away from that. So I'm I'm glad he got the 8.25 million dollars from his uh training camp deal. But with that being said, I just think yeah, he he folded, you know, he he tried to hold out for as long as he possibly could, and it didn't work. So now he's coming back to camp and he's going to have to reintegrate with the team that he doesn't want to play for. I'm not really sure if he still wants to play for them, but I'm just, I've heard a lot about this saga and I don't want to hear any more about it. It just, but like Jalen said, it's basically in the news every single day and it's, it's pretty frustrating to hear about it every single day. So I, I think with that being said, I'm just glad he's, he made a decision to come back. Um, I would not be surprised if he ends up in a trade package again and we may have to come back to discussing about Ben Simmons and this and his saga with Philadelphia once more. But on that note, I'm just, I'm just glad he got his his money from the Philadelphia 76ers and hopefully he can produce for them on the court.
1: Yeah, I, my final thoughts on it really are simple. From everything that I compiled, I don't necessarily know if he gained leverage. He was kind of sitting amongst himself. He lost one million dollars. He did get eight point six prior to that because of some clause that he has or something that he set up where he's able to get paid twenty five percent of his salary earlier on in the year. Um, so that did play to his benefit, but he lost one million dollars in the process and essentially popped up on Philly's doorstep. He came unannounced, uh, essentially, is what the story is saying. And, like, now he's back on – he's back in, you know, training camp slash practice with the guys. I don't necessarily know how this team is going to respond to that. It's going to be really interesting to see from a coaching standpoint what Doc Rivers chooses to do moving forward, if Ben plays, if he doesn't, if he does, how long. Um, All of this would be really interesting to keep tabs on. Um, again, the Hoop Talk podcast is not about talking about the most mainstream of topics. That's kind of why we even came up with this um, storylines topic for today is to focus on things that are under the radar. Our top five storylines are not the same as mainstream America, mainstream NBA fan fandom uh, storylines, because we like to focus on things that are under the surface that a lot of people aren't paying attention to that could play significant um dividends in you know the later future and the Ben Simmons saga is one of those things that's literally going to be discussed until it's handled so um yeah with with that Ryan let's move on to the next topic bro uh swing us over to uh topic number three topic uh storyline number three
0: so we have another interesting topic for topic number three and it involves the New York Knicks Jalen are people sleeping on the New York Knicks yeah, man. So we talked about this a little bit in the
1: Eastern Conference uh, breakdown episode that we did with Brooks Warren. If you guys have not checked out that episode, definitely check that out. Um, that You can find that on YouTube and on Apple uh, Podcast, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Definitely check that out. We broke down all 15 teams, asked 15 questions and kind of just got an understanding or tried to get a better understanding of um, the direction of the Eastern Conference moving forward. But the Knicks, man. The Knicks are a team that I feel like is so intriguing because the constant phrase that I've heard throughout, you know, NBA media is that the Knicks are probably going to have a worse record, a lesser seed, but be a better team. And I honestly think that's a fair assessment. The Eastern Conference has improved across the board. Uh, I think the Wizards are deeper. You know how I feel about the Chicago Bulls. Lord, don't even get me started on that. I'm even starting a new podcast around all of this that I'm so hyped on the, on the Chicago Bulls. Um, Atlanta is viewed as a top three team in the East. Um, we already know that Brooklyn and Milwaukee sit atop the throne there as the two teams that everybody's going to have to go through. Can't sleep on Boston. Indiana has Rick Carlisle now, and they have talent. If you go across the board, the East is deeper. So with that, There's a high probability that the Knicks could be worse in terms of record. But, Ryan, what if they're not, though? What if they're legit a top four or five type of team in the East? What if adding Kemba Walker, adding Evan Fournier, two ball handlers, two shot creators that they didn't have in the series against Atlanta, does them significantly well in the regular season? What if adding those two depth-wise as to Emmanuel quickly, R.J. Barrett, Derrick Rose, who could be in the most – who could be – in the the six-man-of-the-year candidate race this year does significant damage for them. What if Julius Randle's three-point shooting um, splits that he had last season is for real? Him and R.J. Barrett being two guys that led the league, two of the top three guys that led the league in minutes played last season, actually shooting the Trey Pound like that. What if that's real? What if that's real? New York is going to be a strong defensive team. They're led by Tom Thibodeau at coach. They're going to be a good defensive team. So you can bank that in. They go about three, four guards deep. They've got Julius Randle, who's coming off an all-star. RJ Barrett, who's coming into, it's about to be contract extension time for him, which is going to be huge. It's going to make him want to play at a high level as well. This is the season right before the summer of contract extension time for him, so there's going to be big questions about their faith in him moving forward. They get Mitchell Robinson back soon. They got they brought Nerlens Noel back. Ryan, look, man, I got to be honest, bro, I feel pretty good about these Knicks, bro. Talk some more about how you feel about these guys. This is for for I always mention this when we talk about the Knicks. If there's anybody. That you need to rely on to get a little bit of Knicks hype, Knicks fandom, Knicks gassing. You got to go to this man, Ryan Leshko, man. He could definitely talk you into some Knicks love. Ryan, continue to gas up the Knicks for me, bro. I'm feeling them. I'm feeling them.
0: Jalen, you know we promote optimism here on the Hoot Talk podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The, The sky is blue. The sun is shining. The sun is shining in New York right now. I think people are sleeping on the New York Knicks. And I think it's time to embrace our Knicks fandom and talk about how great this team can really be this year. Because this team last year ended a long playoff drought by making it to the playoffs. And they got better in the offseason. They got Kemba Walker. They got Evan Fournier to help with their offensive production. And I think Kemba is going to feel right back at home at Madison Square Garden but can he return to the all-star form that that he's been missing from some time, especially with the injuries? He hasn't really been at that all-star caliber player that he's been at the past couple of years. And then Evan Fournier, he's a solid three-point shooter, 46% from three last season with the Celtics. They also have a strong core of players coming back from last year. Julius Randle, the most improved player from last year, had career highs in points, rebounds, and assists. RJ Barrett improving shooting from the field, from the line, and from three. Narland's Noel, I think he he could continue to be the defensive anchor for this team. Derek Rose and Emmanuel Quickly, I think they will get a lot of production coming off the bench. I think they will they'll score a lot, should I say, coming off the bench. And I wouldn't be surprised if Emmanuel quickly has a bigger role for this team off the bench as he was on the all rookie second team from last year. And I think Obi Toppin and Mitchell Robinson, I think they'll definitely get some minutes coming off the bench and be athletic guys who can protect the paint. Jalen, I think their ceiling is Eastern conference semifinals, but as a Knicks fan, I want to believe they have a chance to make the Eastern Conference Finals.
1: See, that's that's the kind of gassing that we need here, Ryan, when we talk about these here, Knicks, because let's be honest. Let, let's be honest, Ryan. As much as I joke with you about your fandom of the Knicks on this podcast, let's be real. The, the NBA is a lot better when the Knicks are good. Let's, let's just be honest. I, I think, you know... I hate to this. This is one of those where from an ACP standpoint, we tend to not do this in terms of gassing up glamour markets. But the New York Knicks have been one of those franchises that have been on the low end for a long time. Playoff drought significant up until last year. A team that has not really been relevant, hasn't really had, you know, nameable stars for a long time. It hasn't been one of those teams in the Eastern Conference mix as a team that could potentially make a run towards the championship and I'm not saying that they're a championship caliber team just yet I I agree with you that I think semifinals at least getting out of the first round barring a certain uh, particular matchup like my Atlanta Hawks because we'll give you the smoke again but barring a certain kind of matchup I think that that the semifinals is a good benchmark for them to continue to slowly rise back up in the NBA Eastern Conference ranks And, I mean, this team is legit. Like you said beforehand, Obi Toppin is a guy who was really solid in summer league. I think it's going to be a really intriguing guy for them. Thames is not big on playing rookies, but now he's in his second year. Emmanuel quickly proved a lot in his rookie season. I think those two guys are going to be really interesting in terms of the way this team projects moving forward. Jericho Sims is a guy who I think is going to be really interesting for the Winchester Knicks. Shout out to that dude. I think he's going to be a crazy above the rim center for them. And I wouldn't be surprised if he got some PT at the center position as well, because, you know, Mitchell Robinson is being brought back very slowly after coming off of injury that missed that caused him to miss most of last season. Um, Nerlens Noel is a solid rotational center as well. I mean, Ryan, they've got depth at every position significant depth at least two to three guys at every single spot rj barrett is interchangeable as well ryan this is a team that really has me nervous when i talk about the idea of if you remember uh earlier on in season three i made a bold declaration that i believe that my three eastern conference teams being the atlanta hawks the chicago bulls and the washington wizards would all make the playoffs legit make the playoffs not the play in the playoffs that was my bold prediction for this season the Knicks are one of those teams that makes me feel very uncomfortable about that decision especially for the Wizards because they're the team that doesn't doesn't have significantly as much talent as maybe Atlanta or Chicago does on paper their depth helps them but New York's depth helps them a lot too and they are no joke so I really fear for my take but I but taking you know my personal feelings out of it aside i think new york has a chance to still finish above the playing tournament a lot of people are projecting them finish somewhere in the seven through ten spot i really think that this could be a team that's going to take the regular season seriously and they they might be a top four they might be a top four to top six seed again man i think that new york is crazy good low-key
0: and you talk about the amount of talent that they have on their roster. I mean, looking at this this Westchester-Knicks G League team, you talk about the fact that they have Miles Powell on this team still too. And then they also just picked up Luka Savanich off of waivers from the San Antonio Spurs as a guy that he's kind of a raw talent, but he can really hit some threes, definitely hit some mid-range shots as well. So you definitely have a lot of talent across the board, not only on the Knicks roster, but also on the Westchester-Knicks roster Um, in with their G League team, there's just so much positivity and optimism with the New York Knicks that I have to agree with you, Jalen. That the league is better when the Knicks are better, and I think I think it hasn't been the league hasn't felt like this since the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s when the Knicks were really great. So I'm I'm looking forward to another great season and hopefully the Knicks can be that great of a team like they were last year, even with more offensive production with guys like Kemba and Fournier signing with the team. But moving on to our next storyline, we're going to talk about some rookies from last year who we think could have great years in year two. So Jalen, who are two rookies from last year that you believe could have great years in year two?
1: Yeah, man. So look, I think the guard spot gets a lot of love. They get a lot of love across the league. So I got to start leaning big, man, bro. You know, I always got to go opposite of the grain. So I got to start leaning big, man, at that power for, at that small forward through uh, power forward and center positions. I'm going to start with, with, with the power forward spot. I might be Homer picking here, bro, but I got to go with Pat Williams, man. Patrick Williams for that number four spot that he was taking at um, a year ago. I think he's going to be really huge in Chicago being able to take that next step into becoming a legit playoff team. We've already seen that Chicago is committed significantly to trying to become more talented by getting Zach Levine legit help around him. Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic. They went undefeated in the preseason, by the way. I ain't guessing it too much, but I'm just saying Chicago might be that they, they might be that drill this year. Um, you throw it on top of the fact that Kobe White is currently out. Patrick Williams is currently out due to injury as well. When those two guys get back, that's going to be huge. They bring in um, Alex Caruso. We bring in um, Derrick Jones Jr., Alizé Al- Johnson. We've got guys. They got they got A Johnson getting comparisons to Dennis Rodman on Instagram. I, I don't know if it's factual or not, but from a rebounding standpoint, he's going to be huge. Um, as a as a backup power forward for us as well. But talking about Patrick Williams is a guy who averaged 9.2 points per uh per game last year, along with 4.6 rebounds, 1.4 assists. The dude was absolute money from two-point range, 51% from there, money from beyond the arc, almost 40% from um from um from three-point land, 48% overall he's playing 28 minutes a game which i think is solid right now um uh basketball reference has him projected on a per 36 minute basis of potentially averaging somewhere around 15 points this year uh, around uh, around 13 to 15 points this year along with six rebounds, two assists, steal a game and nearly a block a game on some solid uh shooting uh shooting splits as well 50 40 uh 50 40 75 um, will be his shooting splits based on this per-36 projection. I think that Patrick Williams in a high-dubbed offense like this is, this is going to be an up-and-down track meet of a basketball team. Um, so before I get my second player, what are your thoughts on Pat Williams coming this year? And if you want to sprinkle in some Chicago love, I would love to hear, you know what I mean?
0: I think if you look watch the preseason with, for with the Chicago Bulls, you could definitely see a lot of optimism in Chicago as well when you're blowing out the Cleveland Cavaliers and New Orleans Pelicans by, you know, 30 to 40 points. I think you you look at the talent on this team across the board. This is definitely a playoff team in my opinion. I think that the Chicago Bulls have so much talent with DeMar DeRozan coming in, Alex Caruso as a league guard. I mean, you also have Lonzo Ball, somebody who can shoot the threes and facilitate the ball as well and then you also get some sneaky G League pickups like Alize Johnson. Alize Johnson was a phenomenal player in the G League with the 905 Raptors. He gets picked up by the Brooklyn Nets and now I think he's actually going to be able to be be utilized well in this system for the Chicago Bulls as a Dennis Rodman type player and I would not be surprised if somebody like Patrick Williams ends up taking a huge step this season. Patrick Williams was definitely a shock to a lot of Bulls fans when he was drafted at number four, definitely a very high draft pick, but he's, he's starting to show that he's capable of being the fourth overall pick. And he's playing like a player who was drafted in the first round as a, as a top 10 player. So definitely expecting a lot of great things for Patrick Williams this year. I think the big thing for him is just stay healthy because I know he was injured for the most part. Uh, to start the season last year, so if he can just stay healthy, keep that production up, I think the Chicago Bulls definitely have another young star in Patrick Williams.
1: Yeah, and he's still a fresh twenty years old, still developing on the fly. This is a guy who went from being a role player, six man of the year for Florida State in college, to now being a guy who's got a legit role on an NBA team that's trying to make a push for the playoffs. And look. As a loyal, loyal Chicago Bulls fan, I went through four years of missing the playoffs, man. And I'm trying to hit the postseason. I think this is a legit year for it, but Patrick Williams is gonna have to be a big part of that. A lot of people in the mainstream media have made the comments related to this team is gonna put up points. They might average a hundred hundred and twenty a night, but who 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 are gonna who are gonna guard? Um, who is gonna guard for this team? Um Where's the defense coming from? Well, Patrick Williams is at the top of that list, man. His versatility across the board is going to be huge. I think DeMar DeRozan's versatility is huge. We saw um, Lonzo Ball body uh, body up on former Chicago Bulls uh, forward Laurie Markinen in the preseason. So his versatility is also going to be big. I think this team is going to be a lot better on defense than people think. Um, Shout out to Brooks. He said the same thing on the Eastern Conference podcast that we did. I think they're going to be good um, on both sides of the floor as a team that could be a top five caliber offense and a team that can at least be in the top half of the league on defense. And if you tell me they can be a top five offense and a top 15 defense in the NBA, that's a team that looks like they have the talent to make the playoffs and maybe even make some noise. I think Patrick Williams is going to have a lot um, to do with that. Now, my second player is is a player that I don't think we've really gotten to talk a lot about because of the fact that he had, he wasn't in the rotation a lot last year for the Miami heat, but this year he's going to be a part of the Toronto Raptors. And that is precious. I think that precious. Ochoa has a legit chance to start at center for Toronto. This is a guy who did not get crazy playing time for um, the Miami heat, only 12 minutes a game, five points, three rebounds. Um, and I think that this is a guy who he has a high motor. He can handle the ball a little bit. The Toronto Raptors clearly want to play with, you know, significant length. I mean, they don't have a single guy above the size of six nine on their team. So they're going to have to play with physicality, speed, and they're going to have to be um, – a very vigilant, strong interior team. I think that President Otuwa has a lot is going to have to play a big factor in that behind guys like OG Adenobi, behind guys like Scotty Barnes, who I think is going to be really interesting for this team too. So uh, with President Otuwa, like I said beforehand, five points per game uh, last year, three point four rebounds per game, less than a, a assist per game. But Basketball Reference. I think they might think he's going to have an even bigger year than what I projected. Ryan, Basketball Reference has a projection per 36 minutes that Precious Audra was going to jump from five points a game to 15.6 points per game on 53.9% shooting. That's along with a steal per game and a steal, nearly a steal and a half per game, along with 9.7 rebounds. Basketball reference is extremely high on this guy in terms of what he could do at the next level to the point that they believe that this guy is going to go from averaging five and three to averaging nearly a double double for the Toronto Raptors. I think that's a really big sign uh, moving forward because of the fact that Bleacher Report, uh, I mean, uh, that basketball reference takes into uh, account per 36 along with projection based on the current lineup of the players. So, Look, man, I think Precious Achua is going to be huge. What are your thoughts on Precious Achua as a player, and some of your thoughts on Toronto? I know we talked about them a little bit in the Eastern Conference wrap up, wrap up as well. But what are your thoughts on this team as we get closer to the season start?
0: And I think with the a lot with the with a lot of the points that you made about Precious Achua, I think I think Toronto will be able to unlock more of his potential. Than what Miami was able to do with him, and I think when you were listening to when you were listing off the stats from Basketball Reference, the jump from five points to fifteen points, the jump from three three and a half rebounds to nine rebounds, I think that kind of shows you what potential he has as a player. Where you have a lot of confidence in him that he's going to be able to start for for this team day one when he steps on the court for the Toronto Raptors. Now, as a team for the Toronto Raptors, I think they'll continue to rebuild. I don't think that they're a playoff team this year. I think their ceiling is definitely a play-in team, somewhere around uh, that 9-10 threshold. But I'm not 100% sure if this team is a playoff team. I I know for sure that this team is a rebuilding team. They have a lot of great players. Uh, Pascal Siakam is out, I believe, still due to injury. Mm -hmm. So – That'll definitely give Sky Barnes more time to shine as that at that power forward role. They have a lot of other younger players like OG Nobi Malachi Flynn. I think will get a lot of minutes as well. So I think Precious Achua will fit right in with this rebuilding Toronto team.
1: Yeah, I think Toronto is going to be pretty interesting this year. Um, it's all going to be it's all going to be based on how dug in they they are about making the playoffs this year, right? This is a team that by the trade deadline could sell off all their, you know, legitimate assets. There could be guys like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet on the, on the market, potentially. And that could be their version of saying, you know what, we need to look forward and start focusing on building this next new version of the Toronto Raptors, right? Um, So I think they're going to be a legit team until they decide not to be, you know what I mean? Nick Nurse is a real coach. I think they've got significant length across the board they've got smart intellectual players and a very great development a developmental system um there in Toronto so I mean I think they're going to be a really interesting team to follow throughout the year but Ryan you have two guys as well that we need to talk about in terms of guys that could definitely make a, a significant impact in year two so who are those guys
0: so the first rookie I want to talk about is Peyton Pritchard for the Boston Celtics He had a strong rookie season last year for the Celtics, giving them scoring production off the bench last season and even getting some starts at point guard as well. He averaged about 19 minutes a game last season. And after watching a lot of the games that he played in in the summer league, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up getting an increase in minutes. And I do think he will have a big role this season with the departure of Kemba Walker, and then also getting another season to play with the Celtics core of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart. And I think that could be beneficial as he continues to grow as a player. And also with the struggles of the bench last season for the Celtics, I think Pritchard could continue to improve with his scoring production and helping make this Boston bench better this season for the Celtics. But how do you feel about Jalen?
1: Yeah. You already know that I'm very high on Peyton Pritchard. Me and you gassed the crap out of him heading into that 2020 draft. And the fact that he was taken where he was taken, even then, I felt like was low, considering the kind of production he had at Oregon coming out of college. Um, But this is a guy who I think is going to be a legit backup point guard. I think could start a little bit for them here and there. Marcus Smart is already having a little bit of off-the-court trouble that led to a a short-term suspension. Um, I don't necessarily know if we got a time frame on that. I'll have to look into that. But I do know that that took place, and that is something to keep in mind. They did sure up things by getting Dennis Schroeder. And they have a little bit more depth now, adding guys like Al Horford, bringing Enos Cantor back. They already had Rob Williams as well. Um, and uh, You know, they also have uh, Josh Richardson. That's another guy that's going to be very complimentary on that on that uh, second unit in terms of the backcourt. So. I think the biggest thing now is that Peyton is in a position where he just needs to do what he does well, which is score and shoot the three at a very high clip. I mean, even last year, right? Shot 41% on nearly four attempts per game from three. I think when you have ball handlers across the board, which is what Boston has created, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus, Jason, Jalen, um, you obviously have Peyton. You have a guy in Josh Richardson who could be a table setter for you. Um, Dennis, obviously, too. Like, when you look across the board, we talked about Toronto a second ago and how they basically turned their team into, you know, a defensive stalwart from a stretch position, right? All guys with, like, you know, six nine plus wingspans can just be mad switchy all over the place. Well, Boston – They've created an environment full of ball handlers with, along with a handful of bigs who are offensively minded. With all those ball handlers, all Peyton has to do is be a three-point shooter that can also get the rock around the court, get it to their, get it to their other scores like JT, Al Horford, who's going to be interesting as a stretch forward uh, for them. Robert Williams, who will be a spark player for them coming off the bench. And in some circumstances, I think Al Horford and Robert Williams will play together. I think Peyton Pritchard is now in a situation where he can be kind of comfortable within himself this year, um, just doing what he does best. And um, I think that's going to be huge because Boston was wrecked by COVID last year. I think anybody who gasses up, how last year was for Boston is overlooking the circumstances of just how difficult last year was for them, along with Toronto. Those are two teams that circumstantially, if you put any weight into how last season went, you're simply reading over the true narratives that impact an NBA season. Um, And I think that this year with things being a lot more stable uh Peyton is coming off of injury as well. So hopefully that'll be something that leads in a positive direction that he had a, a healthy all season. Um, I think it'd be huge, man. This is I mean, he's coming off his first summer league, off his first, you know, full official preseason. I think this is a guy who's gonna be huge. He played well in both of those.
0: I think if Peyton Percher continues to play at the level that he's been playing at, I think if this this core, the Celtics core stays healthy. I think that this team can return to being a contender like they were in, in years past, but moving on to my next player. And I want to talk about Desmond Bain from the Memphis Grizzlies. Bain is another player that made an impact in the summer league. He fits perfectly on this team as they're continually improving as the season progresses, as each season progresses. Um, I think Bain could emerge as a nice complimentary, complimentary player next to John Morant in the backcourt. And I think he will only get better as he gets more minutes. And he's already a good shooter from the field and for a three. But I think that he can have a breakout season this year and emerge as another deadly scoring option for the Grizzlies.
1: Yeah, and the Grizzlies are already really versatile across the board. John Moran, Jared Jackson Jr., who just got paid, by the way, four years, 105. Um uh, as his rookie extension huge huge that he's locked up now should be able to give him a little bit of a, a breather a deep breath of relief um, that he can go into the season not worrying about any injury risks affecting his money moving forward um, but they've got guys across the board uh, De'Anthony Melton, who's I think is going to get a lot more time uh, now that Grayson Allen isn't on this team um, and when you talk about Desmond Bain you know, he's the definition of like this three and D wing type. You know, he's got a physical body structure, uh, body structure slash build at 6'5", 215 pounds. This is a guy who shot the three really, really, really well last season, 43% on four attempts per game. Um, Highly efficient, a guy who can guard ones and twos, averaged nine points per game last year. Uh, basketball reference has him averaging 15.3 on thirty six uh, on a per 36-minute basis this upcoming season. They also think the three-point shooting is real. He was shooting um at a pretty decent clip last year, as I mentioned beforehand, talking about the fact that he shot um, 43.2% from there. Well, they've got him shooting 43.6% from three on a per 36-minute basis. That's very important to note because if the shooting is real for Desmond Bain, then I mean sky is the limit in terms of his development and the other thing was he was a guy who was the definition of a 3 and D guy last year But we saw through the preseason and through summer league that he's putting the ball on the floor a little bit and being able to really handle the rock that's an elevation in his game that's going to be really huge for this team as a guy that can maybe not create his own shot, but open up things a little bit more for a uh, for his teammates around him with the fact that he can handle the rock a little bit and we know he's dangerous from three. Um, we also know that Dylan Brooks is gonna be out for a little while to start out the season. So he's probably gonna start at the two guard to kick the year off. That'll be a really good way for him to kind of set the tone for himself early. And um I think Memphis is going to be good. I think Memphis is going to be really good this year too. And um I know for most, they're the odd man out in terms of the team that falls out of their top eight projection wise for the playoffs. But I think last year they tasted the playoffs and what being on that stage looks like. And I don't think they're going to easily let that go. So they might be projected as a 9-10 seed by most, but they are going to be one of the most dangerous nine, ten seeds in the NBA, as far as I'm concerned. And they were that way last year. And I think they're going to be that way this year for sure.
0: And I said this on the episode with Carson, I think that this team incrementally gets better each season. They were a, a, they were barely a, a playoff team. They were, they, they missed the playoffs barely, um, in, in Taylor, in Taylor Jenkins, first year as coach, or should I say, I think it was the second year at coach, Mm -hmm. um, in 2019 Uh, and then last year in the 2020 season, they make the playoffs as the eighth seed. I wouldn't be surprised if this team is is actually a playoff lock, a playoff uh, seed lock, instead of actually being a playoff team, a a play in team this season. I think with the amount of talent that they have uh, locking up Jaron Jackson Jr. With that max extension, I think was crucial ensuring the future of this team. I think also looking at Desmond Bain as a player. I mean, now, now we get to really see how good he is next to John Morant as a complimentary player, given the fact that, like you mentioned, Dylan Brooks is going to be out for some time. So I think that this team definitely has a lot of young talent that can make an impact this year. And I think this team's only getting better with, with each, with each improving season, but moving on to our last storyline, and we're going to talk about some exciting teams to watch this season. So Jalen, who are two of the most exciting teams to watch this season?
1: Yeah. So for me, um, I'm going to Western Conference row. Um, I know that I said earlier that the, the pool is open for them and across the board, there's a lot of interesting teams to keep an eye on. My first team is obviously Memphis. I'm, I'm a big Memphis Grizzly fan of the fact that I was huge on Ja Morant before he came out of the draft. One of my favorite guards in the entire league um, and I think they're going to be solid. They're already deep as all knows what, you know, guys like Brandon Clark, Stephen Adams, uh, Triple J, Dylan Brooks. Um, you know, they, they they're a team that, like you said beforehand, man, just keeps getting better and better. Now, John Moran starting to get that three ball rolling. We saw a little bit of that in the preseason. I think if he can hit that three at a thirty five plus percent clip. I mean, he's going to be for sure an all-star this year. I think that's one of those guys that could really achieve that first-time all-star status um, this year. Um, I think they're going to be a really, really fun team to watch throughout the season. And they're the team that should put everybody else in that top eight that people consider on upset alert because they did it to Golden State last year, right? We went into that assuming that, you know, Golden State would get the job done. Um, and Memphis put everybody on notice then that, hey, they got Steph Curry, but, hey, Memphis got Ja, and they're not to be played with. And then on the other end of inspection for that for, for the Western Conference, you know, this might seem like an easy answer, but I think one of the next league pass teams on the uptick is the Houston Rockets. You know what I mean? I know Charlotte is really good and really exciting, and I, I love what they got building over there, but Houston – Houston is really interesting, too. They got Jalen Green, Christian Wood, uh, Kevin Porter Jr. I think there's a possibility that all three of those guys could average 20 points per game. They got John Wall and Eric Gordon as potential trade assets, which could could make them even more interesting come trade deadline time frame, because they are going to be one of those teams that's going to be shipping out people on the open market. I think Albert and Goon is going to be a really fun player in the front court for them. Um, I love Josh Christopher. I don't know if he plays a ton on the main roster. I kind of hope he does, especially with John Wall sitting. But seeing that Las Vegas elite duo uh from AAU link back up between Green and Christopher would be fun to see on the court here and there. Uh the grapevine says Armani Brooks, shout out to the G league, but that boy Armani Brooks is easily the best three point shooter on their team. As anybody on, as anybody on Houston. Uh, I saw a recent interview that basically he was the first guy off the, off the dome for every Houston player that was asked. I like Jay Sean Tate. I think Houston is going to be a really fun team, bro. I, I'm a, I've been a really huge NBA fan for years. It's going to be my first year having NBA league pass subscription. This is going to be a team that I'm going to be watching
0: a lot. And you mentioned two great teams, like we talked about with Memphis. I think they have a lot of talent, and they're just improving each year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're a playoff lock this year. And then Houston, I know many people will not view this team as a playoff team, but you look up and down this roster – This is a roster filled with young, talented, exciting players. Jalen Green and Josh Christopher getting back together like their high school days. I think that's going to be fun to watch. Kevin Porter Jr. with his first full season as the lead guard in Houston. I think he's another exciting player to watch. Christian Wood being back for this team. I think it really ensures up their front court depth. There's just so many young, talented players. Look up and down, or you look up and down this roster that can make an impact. Also, Jay Sean Tate, who was all rookie second team, Armani Brooks, who just signed a a contract with the Houston Rockets, one of the best three point shooters in the league, according to Kevin Porter Jr. But also, he has the numbers to back it up. He he hit 63s in 20 games in, in his time in his short stint with the Houston Rockets. Last season, so there's definitely more to see with Armani Brooks in this Houston Rockets team. That's that's just a, that's just two very exciting teams to watch out for. Who knows, both of them could end up making the playoffs this year. My two East, my two teams are from the Eastern Conference, and the first team is the Miami Heat. Miami made a lot of moves to make them better, but their best move was adding Kyle Lowry to the roster because he has great chemistry with Jimmy Butler. And I think it already, I, th- I think it already will be fun watching this duo play together. Bam Adebayo, I think he could emerge as a as a defensive player of the year candidate this year. Adding PJ Tucker was a solid move, given how aggressive of a, of a defender he is on the court. Re-signing Duncan Robinson was huge because of his ability to hit the three point shot, and it it makes him another deadly scoring option for this Miami Heat team. I think other players like Max Gabe Vincent, and Omer Yurtsevin, I think could emerge as solid bench players, and they can help create one of the best scoring benches in the league. So I think the Heat are definitely a contender with a lot to prove in a loaded Eastern Conference. And my second team, it does kind of seem like an easy option, but it's the Brooklyn Nets. I think they're the most dangerous team in the league right now, and this is a team coming into the season fully healthy with their core of KD and James Harden ready to go. And they also got better in the offseason with the additions of Paul Millsap, Patty Mills, and LaMarcus Aldridge. They had a great draft by getting Cam, Cam Thomas, De'Ron Sharp, and Kessler Edwards. I think having a sharpshooter like Joe's, Joe Harris on your team is beneficial if he can be consistent from three. Nick Claxton, I think he can make a huge impact in the front court for the Nets with the departure of DeAndre Jordan. I think with more chemistry this team can not only be better than last year's team but they can win the championship.
1: Yeah, I agree. You know, starting off with the Miami Heat, I think it's funny that you said that they're one of the teams that you're excited to watch just out of the fact that they're a defensive oriented team and like not, not a lot of people are hyped to see defense, but they're going to be a lockdown defensive team. They do have a couple of shooters in Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero on that squad. We do have to wait and watch out to see if they might um, get Victor Oladipo back. That'll be a really interesting thing to keep an eye on as well as maybe if they would be in the market, ironically talking about Houston, if they're in the market for uh, John Wall in the market for an Eric Gordon, whether it's via trade or maybe just on the buyout market, those could be two interesting guys, maybe Eric Gordon a little bit more so than John Wall, but those are two interesting guys that could be potentially in the mix as as, like buyout slash trade candidates for um, Miami if they want to improve as an offensive team because they definitely have the defense but like I said in the Eastern Conference preview I am a little concerned about where the buckets are coming from especially with the fact that they don't have a lot of guys who stretch the floor I mean Duncan, Tyler, uh, Kyle they do help but that doesn't really get the job when P.J. Tucker is a non-factor offensively Jimmy Butler you know, has ebbs and flows on when he wants to take over the game and when he kind of wants to, like, you know, help uplift his teammates. Bam Adebayo is no shooter by any stretch. So I think that Eric Gordon could be an interesting pickup for them. Um, and they're in the market to maybe be able to do something like that. Um, so as a defensive team, it's just interesting that you pick them. But I think that's what's so funny about them, too. Right. Is their offense? I mean, if you go based on the, uh, the GM votes, Kyle Lowry was one of the most impactful signings of the offseason and the Miami Heat won the offseason, according to GMs. So watching that kind of offseason now come to fruition is going to be an interesting thing to keep tabs on throughout the year. Um, So I think that's huge. And then when you look forward. And talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the storylines surround Kyrie Irving, whether or not he's going to get vaccinated, if he's going to play. Let's just, like, wipe all that away and just talk about the team at large. This is still a top-of-the-Eastern Conference caliber team with a chance to win a championship. When you have two former MVPs and James Harden and Kevin Durant, both on the same team, significant depth with guys like Paul Millsap. Nick Claxton, like you said before, him, Blake Griffin, they got LA back, talking about LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills, um, across the board, they've got Depp, Bruce Brown, I like, Joe Harris, I like, I think Cam Thomas, now that, um, Kyrie is not going to be playing, I think Cam Thomas might not be in the G League to start the year, I think he might actually get some, some, some real PT for the Brooklyn Nets earlier in the season, um, I think they're going to be fun mainly because they're going to put up points, man. They're going to put up points in a hurry. KD is probably an MVP candidate this year. I think a lot of people might even have him front running it because of the narrative aspect. Look, man, it's you'd be hard pressed to find a team that might be more exciting than um, Brooklyn. We talk about the kind of talent they have. It's going to be really interesting to see how it all meshes, considering the fact that, you know, we still haven't really seen this team at full strength like significant or like i mean for a significant amount of time but i'm with you man as a championship caliber team brooklyn is going to be a fun squad to watch the eastern conference as a whole lord it's gonna be a fun year bro it's gonna be a fun year
0: and on that note transitioning to our question of the day for our fans which team do you believe could be the most exciting team to watch this season This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.